This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of September 15th, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 148 of Defender Radio. This week, we're happy to bring you two of the top humane educators out there. First up is Zoe Weil, co-founder and president of the Institute for Humane Education. Zoe will share her thoughts on the importance of humane education in homes and classrooms, as well as the best way to get teachers on board with the rapidly growing demand for such lessons. Following Zoe will be Paula Newman, manager of humane education for the BCSPCA. Paula will share with us the success the West Coast organization has had in teaching children, some of whom are today staff at the BCSPCA, what it means to be compassionate. We know that many parents in British Columbia are struggling with keeping their children busy and entertained during a prolonged labor dispute between teachers and the province. We're happy to let you know that our own lesson plans, with content ranging from K to 12, is available to freely download at FurBearDefenders.com. These lessons can serve as a great way to keep your children thinking and learning while awaiting their return to the classroom. Let's get started with Zoe Weil. A pioneer in the humane education movement, Zoe is the best-selling author of six books, holds two master degrees, and is the mastermind of the Institute for Humane Education's Master's Education and Certificate Programs for Teachers. She joined Defender Radio to talk humane education and why it matters in today's classrooms. Let's get started, and as always, I like to start at the beginning. Uh, so what can you tell me about humane education as a whole? So the goal of humane education is to provide students in age-appropriate ways with knowledge about the relevant issues of our time and what's happening on our planet to people, to animals, and to the environment in order to give them the tools they need, the knowledge they need, and the motivation they need in order to be more conscientious choice makers and change agents for a more peaceful, just, and sustainable world. Excellent. And why is it important to be teaching this to children? Because a lot of people may say, well, adults are the ones making decisions today. But a lot of humane education does focus on a much younger audience, particularly when we look at the in-classroom type uh, type program. So why is it important to go after that demographic? Well, the reality of the world that we live in is a little bit alarming You know, between global warming and the potential loss of half of all species on Earth by the end of this century and a growing population of over 7 billion people, each of whom needs access to adequate food and clean water and a home and a job, and 1 billion of whom don't have access to that, and institutionalized animal abuse and cruelty that is is really staggering in in its scope, These times really demand that we educate students so that they can solve some of these systemic challenges. About a year and a half ago, I was speaking to a middle school, and it was in an affluent community in Connecticut, and it was a private school, so these were privileged children, and I asked them what they thought were the biggest problems in the world. And these 10- and 11-year-olds came up with a list that was a, a list that any group of adults would have come up with. It was all too common, a list. 
So even at this young age, they knew that the problems that we were facing were pretty severe and they knew what they were. So then I asked them to raise their hands if they could imagine us solving these problems. And of the 45 kids in that class, only a handful raised their hands that they could even imagine us solving these problems. And that was probably the biggest wake-up call in my 25 years as a humane educator. I thought, if kids can't even imagine us solving these problems, what on earth is going to motivate them to try? The reality is that our kids are going to graduate from high school and then many of them from college, and they are going to be faced with the unenviable task of solving problems that their parents and their grandparents and generations before them have created. And if we have not given them the tools for for solving those problems, and if they feel apathetic and that it is impossible to create change, then we are just harming them in addition to harming the planet and other species and other people because they won't be prepared. And the wonderful thing about humane education is it's completely relevant to, to the world that our children are living in, and it is empowering, and it gives them all of the tools that they need to be truly successful. So the goal of humane education isn't to turn young people into little miniature activists, although some will probably become activists. It's to ensure that no matter what careers they pursue, they are prepared to make sure that the systems within their chosen professions are sustainable and humane and just. And the reason that they will do that is because they will have learned how to do that in school. So when we think about the problems we face in the world, I often think about Henry David Thoreau's quote that goes like this. There are thousands hacking at the branches of evil to one that is striking at the root. And I also think of a quote of Gandhi's where he said, if we are to reach real peace in the world, we shall have to begin with children. Educating our children is the root system underlying all other systems. And I believe that it's probably the most important thing that we can do in order to create a better world and that our children will benefit and they will be more joyful learners and they will be happier in school and they will be more successful adults if we give them this sort of education. Outstanding. And I, I guess my final question for you will come back to something I've been thinking a lot about lately, and that's with the association creating some of our own lesson plans and uh, classroom packages. Uh, and I'm sure this is something you come across frequently with the Humane Education Institute, is how to get this into the classrooms. So we'll have listeners who are parents or students themselves that want to see this in their school curriculum, how can they best approach their teachers or school board trustees or school officials to get more humane education in their classrooms? Well, that's the really important question. So thank you for asking it. And at the risk of being self-promoting, I would invite people to go to our website, which is humaneeducation.org. And there, there they will find loads of free downloadable resources to make it easy for teachers and easy for schools. But more importantly, before providing those resources, unless, you know, if there are teachers listening, I hope that the teachers will just go straight to our resource center and start using our materials. But in order to, to convince schools that this is important, I would invite people to share with other parents and with 
teachers and with administrators in schools. My first TEDx talk, which they can find right on our homepage, it's called The World Becomes What You Teach. And it's a short talk that really provides the vision for what schooling should be for in the 21st century. And it's it's gotten a, a lot of um, viewership and a lot of people are excited about it. And I, I again, at the risk of self-promoting, I think it's a really good way to invite schools to become excited about learning more. And then there's all sorts of ways that we and you through your lesson plans can provide what they need to get started. And so, as I said, we have free downloadable resources, we have online courses, we have workshops, we have Summer Institute, we have graduate programs, online graduate programs that teachers who are looking for a master's in education can participate in and learn how to do this and bring this into schools. And it's very, very exciting. And I would say that while this isn't ready yet, I do want to share with your listeners that we are in the process of planning the first solutionary school. It's a pre-kindergarten through 12th grade school, and it is going to have as its very goal to educate solutionaries, to educate young people who are prepared to solve the world's gravest problems joyfully and enthusiastically and successfully. And we are in the process of creating a model curriculum that will be open source and shareable so that schools and teachers across the globe will be able to use it. To learn more about Zoe or the Institute for Humane Education, visit humaneeducation.org. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at GatesWildlifeControl.com or call 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at FurBearerDefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. We're back in week two of our Back to School special. Paula Newman, manager of Humane Education for the BC SPCA, is a former teacher and animal lover who has seen children come through the lauded program to end up working beside her at the SPCA offices. She recently joined Defender Radio to explain the BC SPCA's humane education programs and how they've helped to change the direction of many children's lives. 
why don't you tell me a bit about what the BC SPCA does in terms of humane education and why it's an important part of the BC SPCA? Well, we do. Um, we have camps um, throughout the summer. In this year, we had 19 locations around the province that held wow. summer camps for kids. And they're for kids. Um, we have some locations that have even uh, two weeks of young children's camps from six, six seven-year-olds. And then, uh, but the average is seven to eleven, and the kids come for a whole week and get immersed in different animal activities. And it's not—they only get about an hour a day interacting with the animals. We really are very conscious of the the stress level of the animals, but they learn about um, you know wildlife, the environment, the effect um, you know humans have on the environment that affects everything else around them. We look at farm animals, how farm animals are treated in um, industrial farming. Um, you know, they learn pet care things beyond just, you know, the basics. We look at, you know, the kinds of collars that are better for animal for dogs than, than not, how to stimulate, um, keep an indoor cat entertained so that they can live a healthy life indoors. Then during the year, we have, whenever there's a Pro-D day, um, the kids are out of school, so we hold workshops in some of our locations um, around the province. And then, you know, during... Uh, spring break and Christmas break we do the same thing and then uh, we also have a kids club and the kids club is uh, every child that comes through camp is becomes a member but people can sign up to become uh, a member and we have a bark magazine which comes out four times a year um, reinforces some of the messaging that we have at camp but also looks at different things like uh, fur trim and where does that come from um, we actually I believe this this uh, coming up issue I believe is um, touches a bit on fur again um, we do things about animals in captivity you know whales kept in captivity touching on uh, quite a few different topics and then we also do school we have school programs so um, I've created some curriculum for Basically, the elementary schools, I have one unit on social justice for um, high school students, and it's uh, using animal themes, which we think most kids are quite interested in, to teach some of the regular curriculum outcomes that teachers are expected to do. So this, I, you know, I mean, I think it's so important, um, you know, for kids who either don't have exposure to animals and you know, if we teach them young, that's when we can change attitudes before they get sort of really established if, you know, they really think, you know, they're against spay and neutering or they have a particular prejudice, say, against rats and don't think rats make good uh, pets, whereas out of all the small pets, they make really great small pet, small animal pets. Um, so we really want kids to, you know, sort of broaden their knowledge. Um, if somebody doesn't tell them it's wrong or somebody doesn't tell them differently, they'll, you know, they'll go on believing whatever, you know, they're entrenched sort of to believe. Well, that makes a great deal of sense to me. Uh, it's very much, and again, speaking as a uh, parent of a dog and not um, unfurry uh, pets, <laughs> um, if you don't tell them, I'd rather you do this, they don't know any better. Exactly. And it's just, you know, if they, if they don't see things done differently, how can they, if they don't have the role models, or sometimes parents don't know, like uh, our bite free program teaches children how to approach a dog safely. And including myself before I came to the SPCA, you know, I always, the first place I pat a dog was on the top of the head. Well, a lot of dogs are nervous that way. So we teach kids to let them sniff your hand and then pet them under the chin after asking, of course, for, for permission. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is rather fascinating uh, to see the different levels. I live in a very multicultural area of Hamilton, and I've got the gambit of, of kids who come running up to my mm, dog, who, mm-hmm. who does love children, so it's okay, but I still talk to their parents afterwards. Um, yeah. You know, they come up and they pet her, and she loves it. I've got kids who will seriously grab a wall or cross the street yeah. um, because they come from a country where dogs uh, are not pets, where they are a true danger to people. Well, and sometimes it's not even just, it, part of it is a lot of times culture, but sometimes it's just one parent has a, a deathly fear of, of dogs and they just transfer that onto their children. Well, and then how do we extend that kind of, that, that conversation? I mean, we talk a lot about dogs and cats, uh, and obviously as the SPCA, that's one of your large focuses. But when we start looking then at wildlife, and as you know, fur bear defenders, we focus on fur bearing animals, trapping fur farming and coexistence. Um, how do we kind of grow that compassion and grow that understanding to respect animals from those that live with us to those who live among us? Well, it's a, really comes down to critical thinking. And like you said, in our camps, we do focus, and even in our Bark magazine, we, we bring up the topics of like animals in captivity and, um, you know, wearing fur and, and what that means because, um, you know, kids have to realize that, it, well, we, we also try to bring up um, why would you wear one and pet another? I mean, why don't we treat all animals equally? And we just try to get kids to think critically about that and, and bringing up the topics. And kids are so much more open-minded, I find, than adults when it comes to these kind of topics. And they're just kind of like, yeah, no, I never thought of that. So, um, you know, and it, I know kids love going to the aquarium and to zoos, but, you know, we want kids to try to put themselves, uh, have some empathy skills, put themselves in that animal's position. You know, um, a lot of these animals, like elephants, they live, they live in herds all their life. They have a, a strong family bond, and they're taken away um, and put into isolation or even with, you know, just one or two animals in a, in a not very... Um, uh, familiar uh, and an unfamiliar environment that you know really doesn't replicate anything similar to what they would have in the wild. So we do, you know, it, it comes down to critical thinking. We don't really want to tell kids what to think. We try to present them with the information so that they start questioning these things themselves. And what I always find, what I love the best, is when kids share this information. They go home and talk about it over supper or whomever with you know with their family, or they take it into schools and share that information and educate others. Now that leads me to an interesting question, or what I find an interesting question is, I would imagine a lot of the um, the kids who are coming to the Humane Society programs have parents who they they may not be animal lovers, but they can kind of have that baseline of understanding that it's important for their children to learn about this. What about the parents who may not think it's a priority or who may not know that these kinds of programs exist and why it's good for their children to learn? So are you asking how we target those other audiences? Yes. That That's always a challenge. We do have a bursary program um, that we do let um, counselors know and, you know, we open it up to try to to address some of those people that maybe might not be, and, and I mean, it's bursary just meaning that um, to be able to afford to come. But, um, you know, a lot of it's kind of like for camps and that to try to target those people. I mean, we, we, it's through friends of their kids that come to camp kind of thing. You know, it's hard to really, um, you know, to, unless a, a child themselves is excited about cam- uh, animals to really choose to come to our camp. But that's where we, you know, when we go into schools, we can reach a lot more of those kids that aren't just the super keen ones. 
you know, we can reach a whole audience and, um, you know, and, and just present information that they may never have thought of before. And when there isn't a strike on, how do you normally approach teachers? Um, although I imagine you have separate school boards as well in British Columbia. Um, but how would you generally approach teachers and say, this is our program and we want to come in to do X, Y, Z, and this is what your kids will receive as a result? Well, we do. I, I actually send out uh, brochures that we have about our programs to every school in the Lower Mainland, and um, I have coordinators in Kelowna and South Island and Penticton that do that as well. Um, you know, we do presentations, so we, that, that's usually quite an attraction for people too. They want us to come in and bring an animal. We usually we have temperament-tested dogs with our volunteers and staff members that go in and do a presentation. Um, I also go to um, teacher conferences and promote our materials there, and that's that to me is a, a really great way because a lot of I don't know where my brochures go, but a lot of times teachers still have never heard of our programs and um, they hear about them there. So that's really, um, you know, going to the, the superintendents in some of the bigger um, cities isn't always easy to do to help them get them on our side. But I know in Shushwap, we have two wonderful volunteers who do. They Every year they go to the superintendent, present, our, present the programs, and he takes the information and gives it out to the principals. And they they can get their way into some of the schools that way. All right, and I've got a bit of an awkward question, so we might be able to have a bit of fun with this, but because part of my job is reading internet comments, which really is a hell in itself, um, I often see people saying that animal rights, animal welfare, and this, this runs from, from us to the BCSPCA to Greenpeace, you know, down to the guys who are simply trying to get better regulations for, uh, for outdoor dogs. But there's always the connotation that when we talk about education, we want to brainwash a generation of children to create an army of vegans <laughs> to seek vengeance upon the world. Um, see how I said we could yeah. have some fun with it? Um, so is that something that you have to kind of, in your position, and, and as your former career as a teacher, kind of have to, to combat to a degree? Not really. I mean, um, you know, when we talk about farm animals, you know, we have had people say, oh, well, my child become, want to be a vegetarian coming out of this. And no, I mean, we have a farm program at the SPC, an SPC certified uh, program where farmers can actually, uh, if they meet our standards, where we look at uh, make you know require more spacing, require um, you know say in egg laying chicken uh, barns that they have a place to perch, that they have um, nesting boxes, um, you know there's litter on the floor so they can dust bathe. So we just want kids to think about you know this is what a natural life for these animals could be. There are ways we could you know make changes for animals. Um, and still at least give them a better life, even if we are going to use them for, for eating. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't stretch it to the, to the vegan side of things. I mean, everybody has their own personal views at the, S, you know, at the SPCA. We do have vegans, we do have vegetarians, but we have meat eaters too. So it's, you know, again, it's just trying to get kids to think critically and thinking beyond. So many kids nowadays don't know or don't even think about when they go to the store that what they're buying actually is an animal. 
you know, they don't see that. So, you know, we just want them to start start thinking about those things, you know. So you have a, maybe instead of promoting, you know, one day a week having a vegetarian meal or we often get parents saying, you know, now we only buy SBC certified eggs. So we don't, uh, I, I haven't had any, any real backlash about that and we're not, a, we're not, we're not that organization that is the vegan vegetarian organization. Well, and that, it, it's funny because we're not either. Uh, I myself am vegan, but I was a, a meat eater for well over 30 years. Um, uh, the day after, or the, the within two weeks of uh, eating triple cheeseburgers, I was vegan. Like, <laughs> and, and what we often say around our office is that everybody's in their own place on that journey. Yes. Um, although something I, I strongly agree with that you stated uh, with the critical thinking is starting the conversation. Yes. Because it does seem that a lot of people, while they may or may not agree at the end of the day, aren't thinking about the subject matter at all. And that's why a lot of this stuff does sort of get passed by, whether we're talking about farm animals or the proper way to treat your pet dog. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, I mean, and vegans and vegetarians are stereotyped. I mean, I'm from Saskatchewan, you know, and I... I try to eat 90% vegan at home. And when I'm out, I'm, I'm a little more, I'm more vegetarian than I am vegan. It's just sort of a convenience thing, but like, that's where I am on the scale. Um, but you know, you go back to Saskatchewan and people are so interested in why you're doing this and everything, they, everything's about what I eat. And I'm like, I'm just doing what's important to me. You know, you can do what's important to you. I will answer your questions if you have, you know, why I do this and I don't mind educating you. But, you know, everybody has, to, like you said, everybody has to find their, their point as to what they're comfortable with, what they can live with. Animals are a very important part of my life. So I have made those changes because, like I said, I don't like to think that I eat one, but, you know, have one snuggling with me, you know, on my lap. Mm -hmm. So uh, And finally, when we're talking about a lot of these subjects, um, you know, we, we do stuff for, for school-aged children as well, talking about dogs and cats and fur-bearing animals. But then I'll also sit down and have, a, you know, a philosophical discussion when, with someone like Dr. Mark Beckoff um, or Dr. Hal Herzog, who are noted anthrozoologists. And they they have spent their entire lives looking at these subjects. So how do we kind of take that base critical thinking skill and show children, or at what age is it appropriate to say, there's a whole lot more to this topic out there if you want to learn about it? How do you kind of move them into the next level of education when it comes to uh, to animal issues? Well, I think, you know, I mean, we're obviously, every, every child that we go to in schools isn't going to be those keen kids. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we do find that we have... Um, Kids coming through our camps that are, you know, they come to our camps every year. Then they become junior counselors. Then they become counselors. And I have to tell you, we have staff now at the SPCA that were campers, you know, 20 <laughs> years ago. So, you know, it is really interesting to see that progression. We have people who are, who went through camps years ago that are PETA. Uh, they work for PETA and they do the campaigning and, and are all internationally, you know, putting themselves out there for that. So I think... You know, I just think it is uh, making kids aware of 
of what is out there, that there are other people out there doing this kind of thing. And, you know, at UBC, we have an animal welfare program um, that is very, you know, I mean, anybody who is really keen on working with animals and, and looking at the animal welfare perspective, um, we I've definitely have counselors that have gone that way too. So I think it's just exposure, knowing what's out there. And, you know, kids, when they want to think about a career with animals, I know myself, you always think, well, the only option is a vet. Well, there's a lot more out there now. And I think that's, you know, we do have actually throughout the year, we have uh, one, one workshop that's careers with animals. So we do try to teach kids that, you know, that's beyond. It just, you know, you can't just, don't have to just be a vet. There's lots of other things you can do. So we bring in guest speakers, you know, from wildlife rehab, um, you know, parrot refuge, um, you know, different things. So people know that there, there are a lot of other options out there. To learn more about the BCSPCA, visit bcspca.ca. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank our two noted guests for sharing their time with us, as well as Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control for his ongoing support. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.